This is Hannah Nordby with NDSU Adams County Extension, and you're listening to Agriculture Applied. Innovate, relate, create with NDSU Extension. Jalen Whaley is an SDSU Extension field specialist. She grew up with sheep. Jalen has a huge passion for the sheep industry, not only working to educate producers, but expand opportunities for youth to engage in the industry through wool judging. We will be discussing diversified grazing today and why producers should be taking a good, hard look at this management strategy. Go ahead, grab a cup of joe, and settle in to ponder innovative ideas and reflect on generational changes, which can help us create a better tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss out. Okay, hello everyone. This is Hannah Nordby with Agriculture Applied, and I'm here with Jalen Whaley with SDSU Extension. She is a sheep field specialist. And she is a UW alumni, University of Wyoming. Whenever I tell people I graduated from UW, they're also like, Wisconsin? No. no. Wyoming. Yes. Yeah. So we're excited to have you here today and everything. And it's fun when old classmates, we get to cross paths and everything. Yeah, absolutely. It's a small world. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And we've gotten to do a couple different programs in the past and... Yeah, it's just kind of lots of, it's cool how the extension is such a small world, it seems like. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like agriculture in general, your paths are always crossing with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, today we're going to be talking about diversified grazing. We just came up with that topic, actually, maybe 15 minutes ago, (laughs) but (laughs) Jalen is well-versed in the topic and everything. So she was like, yeah, I can jump into it. And I was like, okay, well, let's make sure I know what I'm doing first. (laughs) But kind of with that being said, what is diversified grazing exactly? And, you know, why is it important for producers to be considering? Yeah, so diversified grazing is basically just having multiple species of animals on your rangeland, um, either at the same time or in different types of patterns. Um, just anything you can do to, to change, I guess, the pattern, the grazing pattern. Um, there's even people putting chickens on free range to help manage things. So, um, but obviously what I am most well-versed in is diversifying cattle with small ruminants. Gotcha, gotcha. I was going to ask you, like, what are, like, some combos? So I'm glad you brought up chickens are an option. Um, do you have any, like, are emus? Do people use emus or llamas or? Um, there are some people that will use, um, yeah, I mean, you can use those on a larger scale probably. Um, you see some grazing differences with, like, horses. Um, the chickens are more for, like, a, a parasite management thing. Um, they'll pick up your worm species and not be affected which is kind of interesting. Um, but what's cool is that sheep and cattle will actually do the same thing. Oh, yeah. fun. Yeah. We'll have to dive into that more a little bit later on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, and I brought up emus because did you know in the 90s there was a big trend to have emu farmers in North Dakota? Like, can you imagine if that would have taken off and there just would have been flocks of <laughs> emus across <laughs> Like, the Badlands? That would be crazy. There's, 
Well, you know how an extension we get all sorts of questions. I actually had um, a gentleman that is in the Black Hills that was asking me about if I knew somebody with a breeding pair of emus. And I was like, you know, especially as as the sheep specialist, I, I don't know anything about emus, actually. <laughs> <laughs> what? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, anyway, we should focus on the topic at hand and everything, but I just couldn't help myself there. Um, You know, taking this from a producer's viewpoint, you know, why would they be interested in diversified grazing? I mean, you you talked a little bit about what it is, but why should producers be thinking about it? Yeah, so the the cool thing about... Um, diversified grazing is that you have the opportunity to not only benefit your rangeland economic or ecologically but also your pocketbook economically Um, diversified grazing on the rangeland and we can dive into more later um, but it does things like promote biodiversity um, it increases the um, your pasture utilization sheep and goats especially will travel further from water into other places in your pasture that your cattle might not, um, like up on hillsides and things like that. Um, so you actually get better utilization, not only of the area of your pasture, but also the plants. Um, but then also from an economic standpoint, it helps, I guess, offset your cash flow um, is one thing. And this year is a perfect example. It seems like anecdotally, everybody always says, well, when the cattle market's up, the sheep market's down and vice versa. Um, and I think, truthfully, the last two or three years have, have showed that pretty pretty well. Um, but also just from a year-to-year um, transition, the high points in the sheep market tend to be kind of that Easter market and then drop into the summer. And the cattle markets kind of mirror that. So even on a year-to-year, month-to-month basis, um, those markets tend to be the opposite of each other, which can help your pocketbook a little bit too. I know it seems like in our industry right now we're always thinking about specializing just focusing on one segment and I know I've had this conversation with my parents and other producers how when you get so specialized and focused in on one segment then when it tanks it really hurts you whereas it when you're able to diversify your operation then it's a little bit easier to um you know, roll with the punches. And I mean, I think diversification, I know we're talking about species and grazing different species together, but I think even you could talk about diversifying in, you know, not just selling your cattle one time a year, mm-hmm. you know, can you sell at multiple points? Yeah, and even every- the crops, people talk a lot about diversified crop production. So mm-hmm. there's definitely a benefit in not putting all your eggs in one basket. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a good point. Good, good talking point for producers to think about. Yeah. You know, what are some factors to consider before jumping on the diversified grazing bandwagon? <laughs> um, I think the biggest one is making sure that your pastures can support um, two different species or heck, as many species as you want. But um, when you look at the way that sheep and cattle and even goats graze um, they are going to target different species Um, cattle and sheep their diet does overlap on grasses about 60 percent 
Um, but if there are forbs or those broadleaf flowering species, um, or even shrubs, um, sheep will start to select for some of those other plant species that your cattle may not graze. Um, and goats even more so. Um, we're doing some research at SDSU on managing red cedar with goats. Um, and so your browse species, goats do a really, really good job. Um, but as far as cattle and sheep together, um, is just making sure that you have the plant diversity in your pastures before putting those animals out there. Um, the other big question I always get when people want to incorporate small ruminants is, well, what do I do about my fencing? Because sheep and goats are notorious for, for getting out. Um, and on the sheep side of things, it's a lot easier probably than the goat side. Um, we have goats at home, and if it won't hold water, it might not hold a goat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have some, my folks, we have free-range sheep is what we call them. They just kind of run all over. Yep. Um, but for even a lot like where I'm at in western South Dakota, a lot of our sheep are managed behind a four or five wire fence, which isn't completely impractical. Um, it's certainly not the always loved um, uh, woven wire fencing, and it's not a temporary electric fence, so you have to move either. Um, those temporary fences are great options if you really are wanting to target a specific species of plant. Um, sheep do a really good job in South Dakota. We have a lot of producers targeting leafy spurge um, and buckbrush or snowberry. Um, and if you can fence those sheep into those areas, they do a really good job of managing those kind of undesirable plant species. Um, this spring, I'm going to work on a project in Newell where we're actually going to try and even target some clover because um, sheep can handle that yellow clover a little better than cattle can. Um, so there are certainly some factors to consider, um, but I think long-term wise, it's beneficial for, for your rangeland for sure. Um, kind of going, circling back for a moment and everything to, you mentioned you can have as many species as you want. Is there a happy medium as far as an ideal number of species of livestock to have? Um, maybe that number changes mm -hmm. as your experience with diversified grazing expands. You know, mm -hmm. what's some guidance there? Yeah, I think it, it really depends. At the end of the day, um, it's a matter of what your pastures can support. And so you can um, run as many species, I guess, as you want, as long as we're, we're still not overgrazing those pastures. Um, and so keeping... Uh, keeping your stocking rates in mind, um, keeping your plant species in mind, um, just making sure that at the end of the day we're, we're not overgrazing our pastures is really important. Mm -hmm. You know, you were ta we've been talking a lot about plants. You've mentioned it a couple different times now. You know, maybe a good plug for range judging. If you have kids in high school or middle school, get them involved in range judging. And I think, you know, Starting to build that knowledge when they're young really helps them as they grow into adults. But how about, what are we talking about? What are the different types of plant species that we're looking for mm -hmm. out on those rangelands? Yeah, so the big picture three species we talk about are grasses, forbs, and browse. Um, so grasses are kind of self-explanatory. For forbs are any of our broadleaf flowering plants. And then um, 
browses are brush or woody type species. Um, so yeah, range judging um, is, a, is a great way to start to learn plant ID and learning, you know, we obviously some of those plants are poisonous and um, the nice thing I guess about raising your small ruminants is a lot of the plants that are poisonous to cattle, like leafy spurge that I talked about before, uh, don't affect sheep and goats nearly as, as bad as they do cattle. Um, so being able to identify your plants is definitely really important. But the nice thing is there are apps for that now, too. Oh, there's an app for that. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any good suggestions? Um, the one that I use, I think, is called Seek. Um, but there's several if you look up plant ID. And I think, like, the newest Apple update even maybe will ID some plants for you. Mm. It's interesting. Play yeah. around with your iPhone a little bit. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm sure if you reached out to your local extension agent, they might be able to help with some plant ID or have some app suggestions for a producer as well. Yeah. Um, I think another, you were talking about, you know, how different species of livestock will target different species of plants. Mm -hmm. Another benefit to knowing your different types of plants is knowing their growing season, right? Some are going to be growing more. Your cool season plants will get started more in the spring and your warm season plants will be growing more, you know, in July, later in the summer and everything. Yeah. And those are also, I think, important factors as you're thinking about your rotation and who, what goes where, when. Yeah, absolutely. Because especially, you know, in our colder climates, um, we don't want to graze those cold um, cold season plants too early. Um, but if you are trying to do a weed management type rotation, typically for most of those species, we're wanting to graze them before they flower. <laughs> um, so whether that be spotted knapweed or leafy spurge, some of those, um, even your, your thistle type species. We want to graze them before they have the opportunity to flower and seed out. Yeah, well, and that makes sense and everything like that. I mean, seeds is how we reproduce and we don't need those species uh, going more out of control. Right, and that's not to say, even if you graze them, like when they are flowering, um, there's been some studies that show in sheep that your seed viability in the manure is at least reduced by 50%. So you still probably have about half of the viable seeds, but that's still reducing the amount of viable seeds by 50%. Yeah, I mean, better than nothing. Absolutely. <laughs> now, um, you wanna expand more about the dietary overlap of these three species. Um, I know I was looking at a diagram and it was showing how, okay, sheep, and cattle they're 60 percent they'll eat on the same species but goats compared to get cattle i don't know what the exact number was but it was there was significantly less overlap which i thought was really interesting yeah it is really interesting um, going back to the ruminant physiology class that hannah and i took together at wyoming um <laughs> go dr ludden <laughs> shout out <laughs> still my favorite teacher <laughs> Um, so there's three different types of grazers. There's browsers, intermediate grazers, um, and our concentrate selectors. And so for those three species, um, they kind of overlap and cross lines on, on those three things. But in general, we can call our cattle our 
or our browsers, our bulk grazers, um, where they're just going to come in and just take a swath of whatever it is with their big old tongues um, and not really heavily select on exactly what they're eating. Sheep tend to fall more towards that line of intermediate grazers where um, they're maybe not quite as picky, but um, especially where their lips and tongue have a lot more movement than cattle, they're able to select um, for those, those better plants. And then goats are even closer to a concentrate selector. Um, our typical concentrate selectors are deer and that kind of thing that are almost exclusively going to be eating twigs and berries and um, <clears throat> some of those browse or woody species that we talked about. Um, and so that's kind of where their dietary preferences vary. Um, and that's where we can start to get some really cool rangeland utilization differences. Yeah. Well, okay. So next, earlier you mentioned how you've been using sheep for uh, leafy spurge control and everything. Um, so, you know, that would be one benefit as far as, you know, the benefits that you can see on your rangelands. Do you want to expand on that topic or are there some other benefits that you've seen as far as um, producers unify? utilizing <laughs> diversified grazing on their operation? Yeah, so I think a lot of producers that are getting started are kind of trying to do that targeted um, weed control, especially because you can throw some sheep out there um, and get additional income as opposed to having to just spend money on chemical every year. So a lot of people like the idea of not having to put additional chemicals on their rangeland and using um, sheep or goats, and then also getting additional income from lamb and, and kids and wool and whatever. Um, the other thing that is really beneficial when it comes to diversified grazing, um, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, was you have greater pasture utilization. Um, so our sheep and goats are more likely to travel further from water, to graze hillsides, that kind of, those places that our cattle probably are less likely to graze. Um, but also you can utilize your pastures um, when those plants are less desirable also. So the cool thing about sheep and goats is that um, just based on their gestation length and the amount of time prior to weaning, um, we do have some proportion of the year spent in maintenance, um, which could be you know up to about four months where our cattle, you know, they calve and then they're still lactating when we're breeding them. And most of the time, unless you're running some stalker cattle, um, we're, we're very rarely running those cattle just in a maintenance diet. And so when you get into kind of that fall or winter period, you can graze your sheep and goats who are either maybe still in maintenance or at least in early gestation with a low nutritional requirement on lower quality forages, um, which can also help save you economically um, because pasture is about a third of the cost of any of our harvested feeds. And I think that gap is probably even getting bigger as we see feed prices increase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that gap's getting bigger and our profit margin is getting smaller. And yes. I should stop, stop talking. We don't need to get too wompy. <laughs> yeah, we could. You could go have long conversations about feed costs. Um, but that's, I mean, the biggest cost to any type of producer is your feed cost. And so being able to run your sheep and goats on a low cost, 
um, low quality ration for even a short period of time helps save on feed costs a lot. So you were talking about the nutritional needs changing and how sheep can have a four, about a four month period where they're more on a maintenance ration <clears throat> and everything. So like as we're going into the winter months, you know, is diversified grazing still a good idea as those nutritional changes are changing? Because, yeah, just like, is how does that change depending on the time of year? Yeah, so it's it's obviously going to depend on when you calve and when you lamb or kid. But like we were talking about as we brainstormed the idea for this topic, um, if you haven't yet, you should go listen to the bale grazing podcast that Hannah um, did. But Bale grazing has gotten to be pretty popular, but what a lot of people are seeing is that because those sheep are more particular about what they eat, um, they'll eat the good parts of the hay and leave the rest for the cows. And so if your cows, especially if they're in um, late gestation, are going to need more nutrient requirements. Um, so maybe not the best time to be grazing them sheep and cattle together, or is there like a yeah. way you can combat that? Um, in late gestation, I would probably recommend not to, just to make sure that your animals are getting the nutrients that they need. Um, because at the end of the day, that's how we make our money is live lambs and calves on the ground. Yeah. 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 I can't disagree with you on that one. (laughs) But I still, I mean, there's still options. Um, so like Drew said, um, probably on his bale grazing stuff and the conversations that him and I have had, um, you can still graze bale graze your sheep before your cattle or vice versa um ask the cattle to graze the bales first and then the sheep to clean them up just another way to just be aware of here are some concerns some considerations and to address those issues that might arise for producers yeah absolutely okay now as we're like working towards wrapping this conversation up You've been sprinkling in economics this whole time, but let's just really address that issue straight on. Let's put dollars and cents to this conversation and explain what the economic benefit to multi-species grazing. Yeah, so I think the big one I talked about was you know, helping balance out your cash flow. In ag, we have the wonkiest cash flow and Um, So if we can do whatever we can to try and even that out, that's always a benefit. Um, But the other thing that's really nice about diversified grazing is that you can get additional income on the same number of acres. So your returns per acre actually increase. Um, And I typically recommend, um, there's places where you can play with this number a little bit, but if you're just getting started, start with a one-to-one ratio. So for every cow, run one sheep. Um, because most of the literature would tell you that you can run a one-to-one ratio without significantly damaging your pastures. Um, now, depending on certain areas, you can you can definitely increase that. Um, there's a producer in uh, eastern South Dakota that's heavily target grazing, so it's very intensive and very hands-on. Um, but he runs about 300 cows and 1,000 head of ewes on the same acreage. Um, so definitely an option to increase your revenue per acre. Recognizing that they get a lot more rain on eastern, eastern North Dakota, South Dakota versus... Yes. Western, our western rangelands, I maybe would shy away from recommending a 
1,000 to 300 head type of, <laughs> but um, if if managed correctly, I guess that's my big takeaway is at the end of the day, we're still managing pastures and we're still grass farmers, if you will. Um, so making sure that, that we're not overgrazing those pastures is going to be really, really important um, and also can help us make some adjustments for, for future years. And who do you think would be some good people that could help producers as they're trying to figure out? So they started with the one-to-one ratio and they're wanting to play around with those numbers. Mm-hmm. Who would be some good people they could reach out to? Yeah, I think, um, well, obviously I'll put the plug in for extension. Um, myself or other grain specialists, sheep specialists, cattle specialists um, are all more than willing to help you figure those things out. Um, but also NRCS does a lot of really awesome programming and helping to determine stocking rates and those kind of things. Um, so reaching out to your local NRCS office might be an option as well. They're all people that are on your team. They want to see you succeed. Absolutely. Yep. Are there any other economic benefits that you want to touch in? I know I kind of jumped in and mm-hmm. we d- dived into some of these aspects a little bit more. I don't think so. I think... Um, it is just another source of income. I mean, obviously you have your feed costs and the cost of purchasing. Um, the nice thing about sheep though, and goats as well, is that since they are a multiple offspring bearing species, their return on investment is a lot quicker. So generally, um, I'm not gonna brag on the sheep market at the moment, um, but you, most years, um, if you have a ewe that has twins and weans twins, she will pay for herself within the first year. So you can at least pay for the investment of your use within the first year, um, which is is pretty impressive nice. to be able to do. Plus, especially if you're raising like a fine wool type of sheep, um, I know plenty of producers that use their wool check to pay for their feed plus their shearing bill. So that's an option as well. But the wool market definitely isn't as high as it used to be either, but um, those fine wools still have a, a place in the market for sure. Right. I mean, when you kind of think about sheep, you got two sources of income. You have the check coming from the lamb, right? And then you have the check coming from that wool and everything. So just another way to diversify. Add some more dollars and cents, as Absolutely. we mentioned earlier. Yep, yep. And there's there are a lot of people switching to the hair sheep. Um, they are becoming very popular. Um, so certainly, I'm a wool girl at heart, but... Um, if you want something that's a little lower maintenance and don't want to have the hassle of shearing, um, hair sheep are, are another option as well. Yeah. Well, my folks, we have a black face sheep, which I wish they would have had white face sheep to start with because I've been told they're a lot hardier because I swear if you look at a black face <laughs> sheep wrong, they find a way to die. <laughs> Fair enough. I grew up with black face, so. You can attest. I can. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, maybe let's speak to the producers that are listening right now. They've kind of been like, okay, we got some, we like what we're hearing. Mm -hmm. How do they go ahead and get started? Are there different approaches Mm -hmm. to getting started? Yeah, I think um, the first thing you have to assess is what your comfort level is. Um, If you want to dive all into sheep production, that's great. Um, right now I think is a good time to get in. Our 
bread U prices and even our, our coal U prices, um, I think sheep producers now wish they were a little higher, but it's a great opportunity for somebody who's interested in getting into the market for sure. Um, but there's definitely options if you don't want to make the leap and become a, a full-fledged sheep producer also. Um, we're seeing a huge increase across the country in contract grazing, um, and a, everybody can attest to needing more grass. Um, but if you've got a neighbor that has sheep, you know, talk to them about maybe just contracting to have their sheep come in at the beginning of the year when you need to, to manage even some crested wheatgrass or something like that. Um, the other option that I've talked with several producers about is this kind of stalker type op option where you go to the sale bar, maybe buy little just wean 40 pounders, um, throw them in on some pasture just long enough to get some of your weeds under control or um, whatever it might be, and then sell them as, you know, 80 pounders or something like that. Run it. And the sheep deal is a lot shorter term, obviously. We can get from 40 to 80 pounds within, you know, a couple of months. We can assume, oh, uh, 0.2 to 0.3 pounds of gain on pasture, depending on your pasture quality. Um, and so we can do those things in a relatively short period of time just to get your foot wet, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're gonna. I'm just gonna tease folks right now that are listening. I was at the Society of Rangeland Management meeting and got to hear some from some producers about their custom grazing strategy. And there's some. I mean, you talked about just grazing producer to producer, but there are folks out there that have taken it multiple steps. Mm -hmm further than that and are even grazing within city limits of different places and yeah I've got some names I want to sit down with somebody and dive into some of those details more because I think for it doesn't work for everybody but I think there's opportunity for the folks that are willing to put in the work with that approach yeah absolutely I think we're seeing that a lot um I think one of the producers that you listen to at SRM they were grazing sheep within the city limits of Bozeman, Montana. So not only does that provide them with extra grazing, but I think we talk all the time in ag about how we need to do a better job of telling our story and being transparent. And it, it allows people that live in those urban areas to see agriculture happening in their front door, which is not as common as it used to be. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, I'm a lot of questions, unless there's anything else that you want to mention before we go ahead and I guess wrap the up. one thing that I forgot, I alluded to it at the beginning and then forgot to elaborate, um, and it even, I guess, could have tied into our economic conversation, um, but is the fact that um, there's no right or wrong way to graze. It's whatever works for you, whether you graze them sheep first cattle first or together. Um, but one of the benefits, I kind of talked about going sheep first to manage certain plant species, um, co-grazing to do some better pasture utilization. Um, but if you run your cattle first. <clears throat> um, Thank you for listening to Agriculture Applied. It's been a wild ride since launching way back in 2020. For the 2023 season, we are looking to bring listeners a new episode the first Thursday-ish 
of the month while providing bonus episodes when possible. I would like to extend some final thanks to Sophia Sockwell over on the mix board, Hair and Makeup by Country Style. Our healthy caffeine addiction is supported by the local coffee shop, the Peacock Mercantile, and of course to you, the listener, for your continued support. Agriculture Applied can be heard wherever podcasts can be found. Until next time, take care.